Thank you to the worship team. Uh, I'd ne- yeah, amen. Praise the Lord. I never heard that uh, song before, uh, but there was one line that, that, uh, that caught my attention when it talks about uh, the goodness of God running after me. Uh, you, a lot of us have, uh, we're very familiar with Psalm 23, and the, and the last uh, line of that psalm is, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now, I don't remember a lot from seminary Hebrew class, unfortunately, because I put a lot of time and effort into that. Uh, But I do remember this. The word that is used there in the Hebrew uh, in Psalm 23 for uh, surely goodness and mercy will follow me, the word follow is actually not a very good translation. In the Hebrew, it is, it's much more active. In fact, we might say, surely goodness and mercy will chase me down all the days of my life. In other words, God's mercy and goodness are so uh, active that they pursue us, almost like a, like a, do- a wild dog running after us. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, we used to take, um, I used to uh, ride my bike to a friend's house and every time I would ride the bike uh, to the friend's house, we'd have to call the neighbor and say, uh, make sure your dogs are locked up because I'm going uh, uh, to be riding by your house. They had these big Doberman pinchers, and they bred them, so they had like 20 of them, and they'd just run around in the yard uh, during the day. And so we'd call them up and say, hey, make sure your uh, Dobermans are locked up because I'm going to be riding the bike. Well, I never... And the other thing is the... The, the house was right at the top of a hill. So uh, by the time I'm riding my bike and my little 10-year-old legs or 12-year-old legs or whatever, I'm like barely moving when I get to the top of the hill. Like getting to the top of the hill was a challenge. Well, I'll never forget uh, one day we called them, but they didn't have the dogs locked up. I get to the top of the hill and uh, I'm barely moving, but all of a sudden I got my second wind because uh, now I'm going down the hill. But here come these dogs after me, and I've got a scar on my ankle to this day to prove it. Uh, but uh, to this day, I'm still freaked out of dogs. I'm kind of scared of dogs. But those dogs chase me down. And when it comes to God's goodness and mercy, that's the type of thing we want chasing us down. Amen? Because God's uh, goodness and mercy uh, cannot be chained, cannot be held back. Like that's how much he loves us. Okay, this morning I'm excited to uh, turn to God's word. Uh, Larry is going to come and uh, pray for the sermon. So Larry, come on up and uh, pray for our sermon. And then we'll jump into things. Good morning. I just, before I pray for the sermon, I just want you to know that uh, the devil was doing everything he could to me for the last two days not to get up here. But here I am. So if we bow our heads, we go in prayer before the Lord. Heavenly Father, uh, we ask that you lead us through this sermon with Pastor Corey's word. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your congregation. Let them feel your word, Lord. Let it shift the atmosphere. 
let things in their bodies, Lord, come to life that they've never felt before, Heavenly Father, because it is your word, the truth. Let them believe and trust in your faith. Your word never dies, Heavenly Father. We know that, Heavenly Father. We ask that you lift up anybody that's going through a trial or trouble, temptation, or anything that the devil may be trying to put over them. We ask that you guide them with your spirit throughout this day, not just in here, but outside, Lord. For we know that the real job starts outside. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for watching over us last night, protecting us, keeping us safe so that we may come before you and worship you, glorify, exalt your name. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for another thousand years. We worship you, we praise you in your mighty son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, thank you, brother. Someone a couple months ago uh, uh, told me about a website, and uh, you learn a lot about this website just from the title of the site. It's called Why Won't God Heal Amputees.com. And, uh, and so I, I, I took it, I, I got a couple sh screenshots. This is, if you type in that address, that uh, internet address, uh, this is what it'll take you to. This is the front page. Is God real? Or is he imaginary? Now, I, I recognize you might not be able to read this where you're at, so let me read a little bit here. It says, is God real or is he imaginary? It is one of the most important questions you can ask yourself. And I agree with that 100%. Uh, is God real or is he imaginary? This is one of the most important questions we can wrestle with. It goes on to say, if God is real and if God inspired the Bible then we should worship God as the Bible demands. And we should, and he lists all these examples, post the Ten Commandments, uh, 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 put uh, in God we trust on our coins, and all these things. In other words, he's saying if God is real, God should be central in our lives and in the world. And then he goes on to say in the third paragraph, on the other hand, if God is imaginary, then religion is is a complete illusion. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam are pointless. And to be honest, I'd agree with that statement too. If God is uh, an illusion, all of these, we're, we're wasting our time. Belief in God is nothing but a silly superstition. And this superstition leads, to, leads a significant portion of the population to be delusional. But how can we decide conclusively whether God is real or imaginary? Since we are intelligent human beings living in the 21st century, we should take the time to look at some data. That is what we are doing when we ask, why won't God heal amputees? And so this is the question that this website brings to us. So the next slide then, if you, uh, go, if you go on into the uh, website, you can go to a page. It's called Why Won't God Heal Amputees? And I won't read all of this, but it says at the top, does God answer prayers? According to believers, the answer is certainly yes. And then he goes on to explain that. Next page, uh, he even goes on to, uh, he or she, whoever has created this website, goes on to quote several Bible verses. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be 
open, uh, knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receive, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what, uh, what man of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good, uh, give good things to those who ask him? And he goes on to quote several Bible verses like this. I'll read the last one. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you received it, and it will be yours. And so, he, so this person uh, quotes all of these Bible verses. And then, uh, next slide... Then he goes on, based on all of this, to set up an experiment. And this is the experiment I want to kind of wrestle with today. Here's the experiment. I won't read all of this. The experiment is basically uh, to say, why don't all Christians pick out some deserving amputee and all begin to pray for that individual? If God answers prayers... And if thousands of people pray together in Jesus' name, surely this amputee will grow back his limbs. And then his conclusion is, uh, if God doesn't grow back the person's limbs, that means God doesn't exist. Okay, this is the experiment the website sets out. Okay, and then uh, last slide, it lays out this, the foundation for why all this should work. Because... God is all-powerful, and God is perfect and has created the Bible, and the Bible tells us to pray in this way. God is all-knowing and all-loving. God is ready and willing to act, or willing to answer your prayers no matter how big or small, and God has no reason to discriminate against amputees. And then he says, nonetheless, and this is his conclusion, nonetheless, the amputated legs are not going to regenerate. So this uh, person lays out this argument, and it's a serious argument. Why won't God heal amputees? And uh, how would you respond to that? What would you say? Well, first of all, I'll just say this, and then I want to deal with this um, kind of using rash, rational thought and wrestling with it from the Bible. But if I was to talk to this person face-to-face, uh, -face, I, I, I don't know if I would start with an intellectual argument. Because this person is, has clearly been in the church. And they were hurt somewhere. Like, this person knows way too much Bible and way too much about who God is. Uh, and so, oftentimes, if I was to be able to actually have a serious conversation like, I would want to understand where they are at emotionally. But, but we can't do that this morning. I don't know where this person has been hurt. But I do want to deal with the argument that is given here. Why uh, won't God heal amputees? See, the point is, God has healed a lot of people. God has uh, caused cancer to be healed. And uh, God has healed uh, people of various illnesses. But this person is saying God has never caused a limb to grow back. 
With that, uh, with that argument before us, let's consider this together. First of all, I want to ask the question, has God ever healed an amputee in the Bible? That's an interesting question. The closest I, uh, example I can think of is when Jesus healed the soldier's ear that was cut off right before he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that story? Jesus has been in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's been uh, praying. He's been down on his knees. And basically what he's been praying is, God, if there's any other way, I don't want to have to go through what I'm about to go through. He knows what's coming. He's going to be betrayed by one of his own. He's going to be arrested by the soldiers. He's going to be tried by Pilate. And eventually he's going to be crucified. And he says, God, if there is any other way, uh, I pray that I won't have to do this. Uh, but then he closes his prayer by saying, yet not my will, but yours be done. Yet not my will, but yours be done. As he, uh, prays, this, as he prays this prayer, the soldiers approach, and uh, one of his followers Peter, we're told in one of the Gospels, takes out a sword and cuts off the soldier's ear that has come to arrest him. Let me read those uh, verses. Luke 22, uh, 50 and 51. And one of them struck the uh, servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Now, we're not told exactly what the healing looked like. Be, I've always envisioned that Jesus got down on the ground, picked up the cut-off ear, and reattached it. But it doesn't actually say that. It just says he touched his ear. So, he, so the ear might have regrown. Uh, it might have been kind of like an amputated ear that, re, that, gets, that regrows. And maybe the old ear uh, lays there on the ground. I don't know. We're not given that information. Uh, uh, but we're actually not given some of the other information in the Gospels either. In fact, all four Gospels record this story, but Luke is the only one that tells us that the man's ear has regrown. Matthew doesn't tell us that. Uh, Mark doesn't tell us that. Luke, or I mean, John doesn't tell us that. If you just read those other three Gospels, you, you leave the situation thinking that the guy is one ear short and, uh, and, he, and he doesn't have it. My point is, it's, if, if it's true that only one of the four Gospels tells us that, he, that Jesus heals his ears, we can probably come un, under the assumption that God doesn't tell us, or the Bible doesn't tell us about every miracle that Jesus did. A lot of miracles are probably lost in history. And some of the things that God did even during Old Testament times are not recorded in history. All that to say is, I'm not so sure that the question itself, why won't God heal amputees, we can answer for, with certainty that he won't or that he hasn't. Who knows to say that, that God hasn't healed an amputee? There's probably been a lot of things that have been done throughout history that we don't know of. We're going to go with the assumption of the website this morning, but I will just point out that the most, uh, 
that the uh, most exhaustive study on miracles ever done was a, by a theologian by the name of Craig Keener. He teaches at, in, uh, at Denver Seminary, and he wrote this massive two-volume set on miracles, and he looked at both the miracles in the Bible and, the, and uh, miracles throughout history. And I went back to that study just to see, because this is the most ex- exhaustive uh, study ever done. And sure enough, chapter 12... He records a few examples of amputees being healed. He talks about a man who had lost his leg below the knee and it grew back. Okay, now you, someone may doubt that and you can doubt it all you want, but I'm just saying that's, these are testified examples of this happening. Now all that, all that said is uh, we're going to go with the assumption that God doesn't, at least normally, heal amputees. Uh, Verse 22, or I mean verse 52, going back to Luke 22, verse 52 says, Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come to him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs. Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when the darkness reigns. Jesus knew that he had to be arrested and crucified. That this was God's plan for salvation. But in the moment, all we see is darkness. This is the hour that darkness reigns. But I just want to point out that that even though this was the darkness that hour that uh, this was the hour that darkness reigned, it was through this act of Jesus being crucified that God's light would come into the world, that God would bring His salvation. When I think back on Jesus uh, praying in the garden and it concluding his prayer by saying, not my will, but yours be done, I just have to recognize that we don't always understand why God does what he does in the moment. Jesus says darkness has to reign, but it is only in hindsight that we see that it is through this horrible, awful, the worst act of his, in the history of the world, the crucifixion of the Son of God, that God's goodness breaks into this world, that God's light comes. You see, I think uh, what, when someone asks the question, why won't God heal amputees, what they're really asking is, isn't there any other way? If God exists, then surely he would act in a different way. And all, I ha- and all I can say at this point in the argument is that darkness sometimes reigns. And it's because of sin in this world. But that does not mean that God's light can't break through that darkness. That God can't actually bring about his goodness through things that we can't understand right now. And oftentimes in my life, and I'm sure the same is true in your life, we ask God, why? Why does it have to be this way? And maybe you're here this morning and you're asking the same question. There's difficulties, there's hurt, there's pain. 
and you ask God, why? And sometimes we don't get an answer for that in the moment. You know, in our sister church in L.A. Holiness this week, they lost one of their, uh, their most committed member, members. Uh, this is uh, Brian. His wife, uh, Essie, comes to our Tuesday Bible study here at this church. Her, her husband, uh, Brian, died in a motorcycle accident this past week, going to work. And it just makes you wonder, God, why? Why uh, does this type of thing happen? And sometimes all we are left with, the answer is, God knows better than we know. That his ways are higher than our ways. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, God knows more than we know. God uh, works in ways that we don't always understand. Why won't God uh, heal amputees? Sometimes we just say, I don't know. But in the end, I do promise you that amputees will be healed. When Jesus comes back and, he, uh, and we receive our resurrected bodies and Jesus establishes the new heavens and the new earth, all amputees will be healed. But this morning we're asking, why not now? Why not now? And sometimes we don't get a clear answer to that. God's ways are higher than our ways. As I was preparing this sermon this week, uh, I remembered a testimony that I heard from a man by the name of Nick Vujicic. Now, Nick Vujicic is not an amputee, but he was born without limbs. He doesn't have any arms or any legs. And I heard this, I heard him give a testimony, this was probably 15 years ago, but his testimony was so powerful, I'll, I'll never uh, forget uh, uh, what he said. And, uh, and, and I want to show you part of his testimony here in a minute, but uh, I'll just let you know that uh, because what we have from uh, Nick's going to share in this clip here in a minute uh, is just uh, his gratitude uh, to God. But I, but I know when I heard him speak, he said for years he wrestled with this exact question. God, why won't you miraculously heal me? I was born without arms and born without legs. And he prayed diligently for a long time that God would cause his arms and his legs to grow. But listen to his testimony here in this clip. I was born in Melbourne, Australia, 1982, and my parents had no idea that I was going to be born without arms or legs. I was the only one that I ever saw without limbs. My faith in Jesus Christ was sealed after seven years of wondering why, God, I was born this way. Uh, he answered me very clearly through John chapter 9. And I gave my life to Jesus at 15 after reading about how he came across a man who was born blind. And I'm like, hey, hold on a second. This looks interesting. <laughs> and no one knew why he was born that way. I'm like, perfect. So I read on, and in verse 3 of the ninth chapter, 
Jesus said it was done so that the works of God would be revealed through him. And I'm like, wow, God, if you had a plan for the blind man, you do have a plan for me. And that was the beginning of my personal relationship with Jesus. Youth groups were starting to call me. Churches were starting to call me. Opportunities were opening up everywhere for me to share my testimony. I was speaking in front of 300 sophomore public high school students. Three minutes into it, half the girls were crying. One girl in the middle of the room started weeping. She put up her hand and she said, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but can I come up there and give you a hug? In front of everyone, she came and she hugged me. She cried on my shoulder and whispered in my ear, no one's ever told me that they love me. No one's ever told me that I'm beautiful the way that I am. I couldn't believe it, it changed my life. At that moment, I knew God was ministering to her through me. It's not by my speech or my power, it was God. And my heart was ignited with a passion. And it was an awesome day to see one soul transformed forever. That was when I knew I was called to be a worldwide evangelist. See, I think that's a, a powerful testimony that God's ways are higher than our ways. And God does do the miraculous like he did in Shizuka's life. And sometimes God doesn't do what we would call the miraculous like he didn't do in Nick's life. And either way, we are left in a position of trusting in God. You see, there's one primary reason that the experiment on the why won't God heal amputees.com would never work is because it doesn't approach God with a trusting faith it, pro it approaches God with a testing uh, doubt that God would never do that. As Christians, we are, or really as, as, as God's creation, we are called not to test God, but to trust in God. You see, when we uh, approach God with trusting faith, that's actually what opens the door for God to do miracles in our lives. But when God doesn't answer the way that we would like them, him to answer, we're left with Jesus's prayer, not my will be done, but your will be done. And that's not a cop-out. That's a grounding ourselves in the belief that God knows what is better for us than what we know. Theologian Richard Swinburg said it this way, God knows far better than we do whether it is best for that person and others affected by him that he should recover immediately or later or not at all. 
See, God knows, and we're, here, and we're uh, in the place of trusting in him. Jesus made it clear when uh, tempted by Satan in the wilderness that we are not to test God. When uh, Satan came to test Jesus, he said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. We are not called to test God, but to control, uh, we are not called to test God, but to trust in him. In fact, if God could be controlled like a puppet, if we could force his hand, so to speak, then the miracle itself would lose all wonder. It wouldn't be as thrilling because all of a sudden we can put God in a box. But that's not the God we serve. And he's far greater than what we can predict. And so we are called not to test him, but to trust him. I think there is one statement, and if I could drive this statement home this morning, in fact, if I could ground our whole church uh, in one statement any week, it would be this statement, that God does all things for his glory and for our good. That is the God that we serve, that God does all things for his glory and for our good. Now, those two things are actually not two things. It's actually one thing, two sides to the same coin. That when God glorifies himself, it is for our good. And when God does things for our good, it brings him glory. God does all things for his glory and our good. And that's the, and that's the statement that governs, a, that governs a question, why won't God heal uh, amputees? Well, somehow God's going to get more glory from it, and somehow it's going to be more for our good. Now, he very well may heal an amputee. I'm not ruling it out. But if he did, he'd receive glory from that, and it would be for our good. And if he did the opposite, if he chose not to, until the, res the uh, final resurrection at his second coming, then he would be glorified in that, and it would be for our good as, in that as well. You see, God is zealous for his glory. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. God does everything for his glory. And when he glorifies himself, we get the benefits of that. Isaiah 43, uh, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I've created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God created us for his glory. And when we conform to his image, or I mean, when we conform to his will, then he is glorified, and that's when we receive his goodness, his, his mercy, his grace, his love. Uh, and this is uh, the grounding for this question, why won't God heal amputees? Somewhere the answer lies in what will bring God most glory and what will be for our good in the long run. About six years ago, when the government was still giving out money to redo your lawn, I tore out my grass and I put in the drought-tolerant plants. You know what I mean? Uh, now, when I say I tore out my grass, I, uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but this is, this is the truth. I planted grass first. I, got, I went and I bought grass seed because my grass, my yard was pure dirt. And uh, I wanted the money, 
So I put down seed and I watered. Now, I wasn't planning on saying that. That doesn't put me in a good light. Forget that I just said that. But this is the truth. I put down the grass. I grew cheap grass. I called out the, uh, the city official that came and looked and said, okay, we'll give you X amount of dollars uh, to uh, tear this grass up and to put in drought tolerant. So that's what I did. I then tore up my new grass and I put down rock and all these plants. And one of the trees I planted was this tree. I picked it out. I don't remember the name of the kind of tree this was, but uh, I like the tree because it keeps its, year, it keeps its green leaves year-round, and I like that. It's an evergreen. And I liked, it was supposed to get to be 25 feet tall. I wanted one big tree in my front yard. Now, when I got the tree, it was like eight feet tall. And I took a picture of it this morning, and it's now about 12 feet tall. And so in six years, it's grown four feet. I admit, I get frustrated with four feet. I'm like, why won't this thing grow faster? Because I'm an impatient person. I want that tree to grow. I want it to happen now. Uh, uh, come on, tree, grow to 25 feet like you're supposed to. It's not even halfway there. It's grown four feet in uh, six years. But see, what I don't see is that it is growing, but not just up, it's growing down as well. In fact, it's probably, the roots have probably grown a lot deeper than it's grown up in height above the ground. And here's, here's my point in sharing that is that we can sometimes get frustrated that God doesn't act as quickly as we want or doesn't answer our prayers at, uh, exactly the way we want him to answer, but it may be because he's doing things in the unseen realms. It may be because he's causing our roots of trust in him to grow deeper, and we don't get that in the moment. We might not understand that right now, here in the moment, when we get frustrated. God, why won't you do it just how I want, him to, want you to do it? God is doing all things for his glory and for our good. And our response to him is to trust in him. You see, we can't see everything God's doing. But he's working. He's working in areas that we can't see. And just like Nick Vujicic uh, testified, he had plans for, God had plans for his life that if he would have grown his limbs, he probably wouldn't have had the same impact for God's kingdom. See, I'm trusting God for miracles. And I'm trusting that God will do uh, wonderful things. But I come back to that prayer, God, whatever you choose to do, not my will be done, but your will be done. And we come with a trusting faith. And I know God is able to do far more than what we can ask or imagine. But we come to him with faith. We've talked about limbs this morning, and we've talked about life, and we've talked about love. And I just want us to remind us that of those three L's, limbs, life, and love, that the greatest of these is love. That God is motivated by love. God may or may not uh, regenerate amputated limbs, but he will always regenerate a dead heart and bring to life because God is a God of love. God says, 
I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You see, God is in the habit of taking dead hearts and regenerating them, growing them to come to life through his love. In the Matthew account of this story that we've looked at this morning, when the soldier's ear is cut off, Jesus said, put away your sword, for everyone who lives by the sword will die by the sword. And what he is saying is, we're not going to live the same way the world lives. The world lives by the sword. And the world lives in all these other ways. Jesus is saying, I'm coming to bring a new, different, and better way to live life. And he gives us that life through his love. Why won't God heal amputees? Well, I think he does sometimes, and I know he will in the future. But let's just assume for the moment that he doesn't, at least normally. We uh, are called until all until the resurrected bodies on the last day, we are called to trust. And I'll never forget the testimony of Nick Vujicic. And I'll never forget the testimony of Shizuka Mitsuhashi. And I'll never forget the testimonies that I hear from so many of you on a weekly basis of what God's doing in your heart and in your life and how God heals and transforms lives and families and my passion is that God would regenerate the lives of the, the, this community that is right here around this church. And so my heart is that God would bring new life through his love. And I think we can all say amen to that. That's the heart of our church. God may not heal amputees the way we'd like to right now, but he is regenerating hearts and bringing life. And sometimes that life while it's hard to understand in the moment, comes through hardship, pain, and even suffering. Jesus, as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, sought a different way. But it was God's will to use his pain and suffering on the cross to bring God's salvation to us. You see, even in Jesus' suffering, God was thinking about his most, how he could receive the most glory and we could get the most good. And so we are now called to trust in him, to receive his salvation, and to turn to him to help us in our time of need.